0: This is Ricky. And this is Brendan. And you're listening to A Gentleman's Disagreement.
1: Get along.
0: I wasn't ready for that, all right. So, we are here, uh, episode 11, uh, December 21st. Uh, nice little Monday evening coming up on the end of the year here, Brendan. What are we talking about this week? Yeah, like you
2: said, end of the year. So, we had talked and figured the best thing to do for the end of the year would be to recap the biggest political stories of the year. So, the episode's largely going to be that one big segment, both you and I have. Our top five lists. We haven't talked about them yet, so I'm not sure how much overlap there will be. So that'll be the, the majority of the episode. Uh, but before we get into that, kind of like we did last week, just want to recap some of the political news from this week. Um, not really enough to have long segments on, but things that I found interesting and would be curious to get your takes on. So I have three major news stories from the past week. I'll throw them at you and then you can pick which one you want to talk about first. So the uh, the three stories I have are the hack that was discovered uh, across the United States government, large swaths of the government, a bunch of different departments discovered a hack that we believe um, was done by Russian hackers uh, to the stimulus bill, which we've discussed perhaps ad nauseum on this podcast, but looks like it's in its final stages of being done. At least it was agreed to yesterday and hopefully will be voted on within the next few days. And finally, my third story would be Vice President Biden, President-elect Biden, continuing to fill out his cabinet with a couple of interesting choices that I felt we should at least talk about this week. So which of those three would you like to start with?
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, I feel like I don't have anything much more to say about the stimulus. I probably don't know uh, enough to talk about uh, additional cabinet picks. So I'm going to go with door number one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Do you, do you have some, some hot takes off the bat?
2: No. So I, I think this is a story, which is probably getting a lot of coverage in, in certain circles, but is not something that I have heard about or or read that much about given how serious it is like this is a serious national security issue and if there was any sort of you know quote-unquote like actual physical attack in the united states it would be headline news all over the country for for days and weeks but because it's a, a cyber attack it's maybe not seen as as important or as impactful but this is pretty significant in my opinion and is, is something which you know increasingly going forward national security is going to be based on cyber security. And so just to you know, give you and the audience like, a little more information, uh, this hack was discovered in, in the recent days and weeks and um, departments that have been impacted and have found that they had been infiltrated are include the Department of Energy, the Department Department of the Treasury, Homeland Security, State and Agriculture, State Department, Agriculture Department, the National Institute of Health, the Commerce Department, and three states. And that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg at this point. It's a hack that they believe started back in March. And again, while we don't know for sure intelligence seems to point to russia as the the state sponsor behind this this cyber attack and and while no one knows like the extent of you know how much information was was gleaned or how how infected the systems are again i like this is a pretty significant deal um, and as is probably not a surprise to anybody president trump has pretty much tried to absolve russia of blame here and said, well, we think it might be China, while Vice President Pence and most members of Congress are pretty much like, nah, like, all the intelligence is telling us it's Russia. So uh, any thoughts on any of that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the cybersecurity issue um, is is one that we're certainly going to hear more about. So I think what happened in this case is they found kind of a soft backdoor entrance through a third party firm that basically all departments of the government use, I think it was called like solar winds or something. Um, and they basically used it as their Trojan horse to get into anywhere. Once they had gotten into that software, then the software was just basically bringing in, um, their kind of virus or their, whatever their snooping, snooping tools. I I get to see a, a lot of like how hackers get into places through, um, through like our cyber cybersecurity trainings, through a lot of like the corporate work that I've had to do um, in the past, and it's it's actually really funny. Like one of the <clears throat> old ones, old like ways that they would do it would just be to like sprinkle a bunch of USBs places and hope somebody would pick it up and bring it into the business. I mean, so there is certainly like it's 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 scary in that you know outside foreign agents have access to information that they probably shouldn't. Um, and there is the big like, well, all right, well, what are we going to do about this? How do we like retaliate or pretend like, or, you know, puff out our chest and make sure that people know that you, you shouldn't be messing with America like this? Um, it's, it's, I think it's a tough one because I think it's, I, I globally, I don't think anybody is under the impression that the U.S. doesn't also have a cyber warfare division that's trying to hack Oh it. No. Are doing all this stuff elsewhere, and so I don't know. Um, I don't really know what there is to like to, to say about it, other than it just makes us look really bad. Um, and and I think that that's something that we're gonna have to contend with and, and figure out how to, how to deal with. But it's almost like an understood thing that this is something that everybody is doing and trying to do Iran, China, we're in the game certainly there are members in the european union doing the same thing so it's it's kind of a very weird song and dance that's going on where everyone sort of acknowledges it and people are just trying not to get caught with their pants down when somebody breaks into something that they shouldn't be and then exposes a bunch of stuff right
2: yeah it's a fair point and the united states is not only active and it it might be like the leader in, in this and like we're doing this all over the world and so like you say it's it's a bit hypocritical but at the same time it's just very it seems like a very 21st century this is like the new type of warfare that we have is we're doing the same things and before when we were doing counterintelligence operations we would be sending we would have spies and people in other countries and acknowledging that other countries were doing that to us but i, I just think that going forward and, and um, president-elect biden came out strongly and said under my administration cybersecurity is going to be a big part of national security And i just Think that it's definitely going to have to be a bigger part of the conversation and obviously i'm sure within our pentagon it, this has been a conversation for the last 20 30 years but even now on the campaign trail and and candidates are going to have to make this i think much more of a central theme of their security plans going forward and this is just another example of of why it's necessary to do that And even going back four years to you know hacks within our election system and certainly like the alleged tax that may or may not have occurred in certain election systems, this, this election go around. Right. But it's, it's, it's something that I think is going to be much more front and center uh, in, in in the coming years. And will also be really interesting when you have candidates, you know, particularly someone like president-elect Biden, who's old. Uh, this is not something that I like, he was ever had to deal with or has his experience dealing with. And you look at the leadership in the Senate or the House, whether it's um, McConnell or Pelosi or, or Grassley or like Feinstein, like all of these people who are in their 70s and 80s having to now navigate the biggest threats to our national security, which which may increasingly be cyber security. I think, uh I don't know. It was just a reminder to me and a little bit of a wake up call that, you know, we should probably be paying more attention to this than at least me personally, and maybe even just kind of as a society have been paying attention to it.
0: Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that's fair. I think the parallel to the 2016 election in terms of, you know, what, what is the appropriate reaction I think is an interesting one because um, certainly on, I won't, won't even really say on the left, but like Democrats in general are very much like, you know, we need to be holding like Russia to account. And this is, you know, mm-hmm. the Russian interference in the election. But it's very similar in that, like, we also have favorites in other countries elections. And we also do things that are not, uh, that are arguably far more impactful on those elections than Russia was on ours in 2016. And it is very hypocritical. And I think, I don't know in the I like <laughs> I think we know that Trump has a bunch of reasons for not sort of coming out and and calling out Russia and on this particular instance um but at the same time like I don't know really how materially different the reaction can be because this is just something that's going on it certainly is going to be worth keeping an eye on and and really you know, the, I think there are two options. One is to to like, how do we bolster whatever our cyber defenses to make sure this kind of stuff doesn't happen in the future? Or two, really, how do we look to like figure out how to maintain systems that aren't, you know, that don't really have the kind of information that we don't want to get out sort of assuming that, you know, if there are hackers out there, eventually they will be able to hack your stuff because, you know, you can, really only defend against the hacks that you know and eventually someone will think of one that you don't know um and so then it then it's you know potentially a different um animal there yeah i don't know i think in i guess in my opinion i feel like it's less of a big deal um than than even sort of the moderate deal that's been made out of it <laughs> fair enough <laughs> different takes on that. I do think that's an
2: interesting conversation about privacy, not only at the government level, but we've seen these hacks, um, whether, I don't know, there was a tax company that was hacked a few years ago, or Yahoo had a big hack, right? Where it's, you know, when, whether it's the government or private companies that are collecting so much individual data on people, it's a good conversation to have. And certainly it's being had in the tech sector, sector, but also needs to be had in the government sector too. Um, All right. So next thing, stimulus bill looks like it's going to be around $900 billion, very close to what the bipartisan group of senators had put forth that we had talked about last week. Uh, it's going to include $600 stimulus checks, it looks like, to individuals, going to include lots of money for, for a variety of issues, including for, for small businesses, for things like performing arts centers and, and those sorts of things. Uh, it looks like it'll get passed shortly. Republicans say Democrats folded and came down to their number. Democrats say Republicans folded and and they got what they want. They got the stimulus checks and all those sorts of things. I don't know. I think ultimately better late than never, in my opinion, I do think there's interesting, like two takes. I'm not sure if they're totally different, but one being like the stimulus has largely failed where you've given people $1,800 in nine months. Like that's just not enough for most anybody in the country to survive on. And that we should have been given more stimulus over the past nine months. And we should be looking to do more stimulus in the coming months. Um, and so like one take on it would be like, this is, is not nearly enough. The other take, which I've seen is, you know, we continue to pass these stimulus bills. The best stimulus would really to be let people live their lives and have their businesses open and be able to provide money for themselves and their families, as opposed to relying on their government to give them checks every, every so often. So again, people on both sides, not happy. Thoughts?
0: Yeah. Well, um, I never thought I'd say this. I feel like you're you shortchanging the, the government here a little bit in that um, there was the $600 a week supplement on employment insurance that you could collect. If you were on your state unemployment, you would get a supplement from the government. So for some people, it, it did add up. Uh, I'm not going to say it was enough, but it's certainly, uh, I think, you know, with the original aid package, there was, some support at least through the summer um, at, at a more or less reasonable level. Um, and I think some of that's going to continue. It's going to be $300 um, a week on un- additional uh, in unemployment um, benefit. <clears throat> and I think there are also some carve outs for the restaurant industry this time. They're going back to the PPP, the payroll protection program. Um, something I didn't say last time is that <laughs> although the number was huge, the amount of money that actually went to individual small businesses versus like a few kind of larger um, entities. Um, I forget exactly what the breakdown is, but basically, you know, it's the classic, like 1% takes 90% type of, uh, type of breakdown and the 90% is left to divide up the the rest. Um, So potentially that's just like a, a greater issue with the, the system. I, th- I mean, or, you know, with how we can dole out these, these dollars in a short period of time while trying to keep track of some of them kind of thing. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if this is um, the right approach. It definitely doesn't feel like enough um, money, but again, I think I, I still feel like this is an indictment on, sort of the American system or sort of the global system um, more so than anything else. You go into a pandemic at the lowest rate of unemployment ever. Your stock market's as high as it's ever been. The value of your economy is as high as it's ever been. And within a month, everyone's broke. Everyone's bank Well, not everyone, but a lot of people, um, a, a good majority of uh, people are up to 20% unemployment and, Uh, a huge increase of people living in poverty um, in such a short period of time coming off of what you would expect to be some serious highs seems like it's a, you know, there's potentially a broader issue there. Um, I don't know. Thoughts on that?
2: (laughs) Oh, that's fair. It's the second largest stimulus bill that the United States has ever passed behind the CARES Act in March. So in that sense, I think a lot of, you know, senators and, and congresspeople are patting themselves on the back for, you know, a job well done. I do think I've, I've seen an increase. I mean, small businesses, as you mentioned, the vast majority of them are still getting absolutely decimated. And, you know, particularly in, in the restaurant and entertainment businesses, it really feels like many of the smaller businesses are being hung out to dry and, and really not allowed to provide for themselves, which I think c- continues to be you know, frustrating for someone like me, but devastating for a lot of people like them where they just feel like they have been targeted and not able to provide for themselves and their families. So, yeah, I think, again, I'm, I'm happy this is passed, in my opinion, certainly better than nothing and it will help a lot of people. But, you know, government policies continue to bother me when people are not able to, you know, provide for themselves.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think that's still a false choice. Like, I don't see a situation where without... Uh, Uh, You know, a tenable treatment without high numbers of people vaccinated, telling, you know, saying that we can just open up restaurants at, at like at this point in the pandemic just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. And even in some of those places that we've seen, they're sort of resisted restrictions Um, they're still facing economic problems because people in general are still scared, whether they're completely forbidden from going to these places or sort of are taking it upon themselves to make decisions. I do agree uh, to some degree that, you know, during the first, you know, five to six months of this phase and during, you know, our limited phase reopening, we didn't do a good job really understanding where this thing was spreading. Like if it, if like as you you know say that perhaps restaurants or some of these small businesses stores and things like that um could be operated in a way that was you know more or less safe um yeah i i think there's some degree of like you know we could could have done better job of giving people more agency to sort of navigate um the pandemic restrictions on their own rather than sort of large uh swath closures but unfortunately, I'm I'm also not confident that people on their own were were making right decisions when they weren't like being restricted. I in in some in some ways probably myself included. Like I don't know, um, I, I I don't know that there is unfortunately a right answer to this. I think in in some ways you're seeing what's happening in Europe again, and you're able to say that like maybe it's you know as much as we we on the left we Democrats want to point our fingers at the trump administration and say like you know everybody else is doing better and everybody else is not doing that much better um you know in 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 the sum total of things i don't know i, I will
2: say what what bothers me and i should articulate this a little bit better and it, it maybe goes to kind of your point about a lot of some businesses really succeeding at the expense of, of the vast majority of other businesses is where you know stores like walmart or walgreens or target or those type of stores were allowed to be to remain open while other stores were not and sir i told you i was out christmas shopping today and i mean there are people people are everywhere like people are packing these stores in and people are spending money in grocery stores huge grocery store chains are making tons of money so in that sense it feels a little bit like the government picking and choosing who is allowed to survive and that bothers me from a sense of fairness point but also when you're gonna say like the companies that are not only surviving but thriving in these times are the big companies that were kind of allowed to maintain more or less their regular business practices at the expense of a lot of these other companies and businesses that were not. And that certainly bothers me and I think it's only going to exacerbate your know, wealth gaps and across the
0: economy. I think I, I think that is something that is is certainly fair. And even even if even within like the restaurant industry, you know, you look at the big chains able to invest in the plexiglass and the, the app ordering and all that sort of stuff that the mom and pops just didn't, you know, were never set up to do. Um, I, I mean, I think, I think that that is, that is a perfectly valid criticism. All right.
2: And then finally, the third story I mentioned was, was Biden continuing to fill out his cabinet. There are four names I wanted to run by you and see if you have any thoughts on um, the first was the Secretary of Energy, which is going to the former two-term Michigan Governor Jennifer Granholm, and so I thought she, she was interesting just because she's a huge clean energy proponent, which is clearly a, a major a major goal of the Biden administration to move us to be less dependent on fossil fuels and more into clean energy. Which personally I think is is a great goal and initiative, but. Selecting her as someone, not only from the Midwest in general, but being from Michigan, she has extensive experience dealing with the audio industry and, and working with them to, to try to make their industry not only able to, to be more climate-friendly, but also to enable to be more economically successful. So I, I was excited about her, her pick. Uh, the Secretary of the Interior uh, was this New Mexico Congresswoman, Deb Holland. I'm not going to I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her last name right. That won't be the first time this happens in this segment. Uh, but she is the first Native American to hold this, the Secretary of the Interior, which is a huge deal and something which um, Native Americans were pushing for because the Secretary, the Interior Department deals with the 574 Native American tribes here in the United States. And certainly over our history has been wildly unfair to these tribes. So it's, not not to say that things are necessarily going to change just because we have a Native American running that department now, but I think at the minimum symbolically, but hopefully also in, in terms of how we're we're treating these people and, and making sure that their voices are represented when we're making decisions about them and their lands is a big step. Uh, two more, the Director of Health and Human Services, Xavier Bequera, Becerra, um, he is the current California attorney general, um, previously uh, congressman from California for 20 plus years. Uh, interesting choice. He's, while his wife is a physician, doesn't have a ton of healthcare experience personally, but was a huge proponent of the ACA while he was in Congress, defended it as the California attorney general. So it, it, interesting choice. Obviously um, another uh, Latinx person, which makes two of the big six Latinx, um, which I know people were excited about. And then finally, Secretary of Transportation, the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Pete Buttigieg. Um, it is going to be the first openly gay cabinet member. And as I kind of hinted last week, where none of the other presidential candidates seem to be getting cabinet positions, and then, then he goes and gets one, which I mean, that'll be another interesting one to watch. I think it's a good career step for Buttigieg. Uh, managing such a huge department and continuing to keep himself relevant Uh, but that'll also be interesting in terms of you know clean energy and climate change and what we're going to do with uh, with those sorts of things infrastructure if if that ever happens so any thoughts on any of those four
0: um i'm probably a little bit ignorant on exactly where each department can have sort of meaningful influence say for maybe the department of energy I, i i think the the main theme for me with these cabinet appointments is that like uh so i'll, I'll take you know uh uh the secretary of energy uh, as as one um position right currently held by uh what's his name rick perry um from, from texas who i think during his presidential campaign may have said that was one of the departments that he wanted to abolish i mean i i I think that might've been the one that he couldn't remember that he wanted to abolish, but whatever it was,
2: I, I, I I'm not going to lie to you, dude. I kind of liked Rick Perry. And then to talk about just one moment, just totally sinking your political career.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so, I mean, that's the guy that's, that's head of the department of energy. Um, you know, similarly, you had like a guy like Scott Pruitt as a head of the EPA, whose entire career was built on suing the EPA because he was kind of pro oil in Oklahoma. So I guess what the examples that I'm bringing uh, up are, are really that we've had for the past four years, a lot of members of these different cabinet positions who are actually just staunchly opposed to those, like to those departments doing anything. Um, and so now we actually have some people who believe a bit in the power of like a coordinated effort, uh, a federal effort, and, you know, for better or for worse to sort of drive some of these policies forward. And I think that's the, that's what I'm looking forward to the most. I, I, I mean, yeah. So just I mean, as if you have any other thoughts,
2: but it, it almost feels like uh, Trump or someone in his administration watch like parks and rec. Do you ever watch parks and rec?
0: Probably not enough.
2: So Ron Swanson is the head of the parks department and he is just adamantly opposed to like, he's a libertarian, just doesn't believe in big government or like that he, so he just does not like the parks department. That's kind of the whole tension that he and Amy Poehler have. Uh, Amy Poehler's character has Leslie Nope. Uh, that's pretty much what happened (laughs) like all the people that were adamantly opposed to these departments existing being in charge of the departments
0: right right so i mean i think that's for me is is kind of the biggest thing i um that my takeaway at this point i think i need to learn a little bit more about these these uh people that have been appointed and where sort of what direction they they're hoping to take these departments in
2: yeah i mean i think first step is now at least we're paying attention to their names <laughs> like at least we know their names and their departments now you know maybe we can continue to delve more into what the departments actually do and what these people you know are doing uh, over the course of biden's administration
0: yeah definitely all right. all
2: right uh that's it for my news roundup for the week uh when we come back we'll do the top stories of 2020
0: sounds good
1: It's a problem with the whole way of life it can't change overnight
0: but we gotta start
1: somewhere, might as well go ahead and start here. We didn't have a hell of a year. I'm gonna make it count why I'm here. God is the only man I fear.
0: All right. So what I thought we could do here is run through our top five uh news stories or major events of um of 2020. Just go back and forth, no commentary, starting at number five. Um, I'll let all right you
2: Hold on. All right, so I just wanna explain we, we we talked about doing this, but we, had, we didn't really give each other any guidance and we certainly haven't discussed what each of our top fives are. I wanna at least provide the rationale, how I came up with my five. Because I had a bunch of stories, I a, yeah, obviously a bunch of new stories and I'll get into some of my honorable mentions at the end, but I was kind of thinking, what are people, historians, going to look back on as the major stories of this year? And so some of the, the ones that I cut were things that I might think are very important sitting here in 2020, but I don't think are going to resonate in five, 10, 50, a hundred years. So my top five are more based on historically, how we are going to look back at 2020?
1: Hmm.
0: Okay. Um, I probably, I didn't think about it so much in like a long-term, you know, what's going to have long-term relevance. Really? I tried to just like think of the top five things that I could think of without (laughs) the internet. Um, that's
2: probably a good way Because that's like the top th- That should be the top stories Like they're <laughs> they the ones That come to your head first Yeah All right, All right. So you want me to go My number five first Number five President Trump refusing to accept The
0: election results Well that's a good one I had President Trump uh, I don't actually know What the term is But basically the Senate voting Not to impeach President Trump okay. Okay. Got
2: it yeah i had that all right i had that my honorable mentions
0: all right number four
2: biden harris being elected the the historic nature of both of their candidacies and in their upcoming administration
0: number four i had first woman minority vice president there we go all right uh i don't know if that's good that that was only that was four on our list but It was, it was an eventful
1: year. It was, it was,
0: yeah, indeed, indeed.
2: Number three. I had the George Floyd murder and the Black Lives Matter protests.
0: All right. I had uh, mail-in voting voter fraud.
2: Interesting. All right. Um, Two, I said the finding, the approval, and the distribution of the coronavirus vaccine.
0: interesting okay i i probably lumped that in well anyways number two i had black lives matter george floyd and what i said was the broader acknowledgement of systemic racism
2: and then my number one story is COVID 19 i don't that's that, that was it COVID 19 yeah i had
0: coronavirus so
1: yeah
2: all
0: right so you want to start bottom of the list top of the list well you had you had some honorable mentions uh what uh what 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 almost made the cut but didn't how long do you have
2: um i said so in my list i had six was the economic fallout from covid which i guess we can kind of lump in with coronavirus but i i think the economic side of it is obviously very much interrelated but it's something that's going to have some really long-term major effects on our country and the world um number 7 i had the trump impeachment slash being acquitted Of of the charges in February. Number eight, I had the death of RBG and the promotion to the court of ACB. Uh, Number nine, I had Israel being recognized by four more Muslim countries, Bahrain, the UAE, Sudan, Morocco. We'll talk more about that, I think, at some point. And then my 10th story was the first presidential debate. (laughs) I just think... That, I do think that's going to resonate historically, at least in the short term of people looking back as being like an all-time low in
0: presidential history. All right. Well, your honorable mentions are a lot more serious than mine. My, my, my number six didn't quite make the list. Uh, Tom Brady leaves New England. <laughs> Everything is just going to shit for the Patriots. <laughs> okay. it's, it's a big deal. That's the end of an era. Twenty years of domination of the AFC East over. Anyways, all right. Back. Yeah, to- <laughs> like Tom, Tom Brady, Richard yeah. <laughs> I thought
1: they were close.
0: Anyway. Ends of yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. I. Do you want? I mean. I. I think the coronavirus being number one was was a gimme. So I don't know that we really need to jump into that too much. Um, no. Nah, we
2: we've talked about it. Say, and it's been covered to death at, uh, at this point, but i I will say that when we think back to the Spanish flu, like the last you know pandemic that really the worldwide pandemic that we've had, that's the thing. I, I doubt many people could even name who the president was at that time
0: Woodrow Wilson
2: he was wrapping up yeah, that's fair harding was had just been elected but uh that, that right i mean that, that's still pretty good i still think that's better than most people could do right so like even as trump is so dominating this moment historically we'll look back in terms of this this worldwide pandemic and the the lockdowns that came the the death totals worldwide and i think this is going to resonate for a long time throughout the country throughout the world throughout how governments handle incidents like this. I think the next like wave of candidates coming up will be in direct response to how the coronavirus was handled in various countries.
0: Yeah, I, I think that that's a very interesting point. But I'm almost thinking about it in the other direction in that, as you said, very few people could name the president during the Spanish flu. I think very few people could have even told you like what the Spanish flu was how big of an impact that it had, um, let alone, like, even say that they had heard of it before. Um, and I remember at the beginning of the pandemic in in March, maybe April, where people were like, you know, this is going to change life as we know it, um, which, you know, certainly for the next five years, it's going to be big, but start to get 10 years out, maybe not so big. And then you know, it's, it's, it, I, th- I think it will um, certainly be interesting. Hopefully it is kind of those once in a generation, once in a hundred year type thing events that it's not like a regular occurrence, but I'm looking forward to a time where maybe, you know, this particular instance is not something that people think too much about. Although I agree, it's going to have a lot of lasting impact.
2: For sure. I think if we're looking at the, the minimum, you know, if we're crossing our fingers and hoping that things start to go back to normal in the next few months, few years, it'll be one of those things that you tell your kids and your grandkids that you were alive for. And they almost like laugh at you and be like, wait, you, <laughs> you were just in quarantine? Like people just stayed home for weeks and months on a time. And like you couldn't do all of these things that we had previously and will at some point continue to take for granted. Uh, I think that's, I think that's how it'll live on as just kind of like we were alive for this moment, like you say, and you know, it's once every hundred years knock on wood, it's, it's just something that will stick out. I think more than I, in my opinion, it's the second biggest event so far that the 21st century, I still put nine 11 number one, but this, I think is, it's less of a moment of a, where were you? And more like an experience that you lived through. Yeah, definitely. But I I will say, sorry, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, what did you have as your number two again?
2: All right, I'm not there yet. Uh, I just wanted one of the things that I had said, uh, honorable mention was the economic fallout from COVID. And I I think it's going to certainly the United States, but even worldwide, it's going to take years to recover from. And one of the things I was thinking about was the last recession that we had had in this country. So 2008, 2009, it took us years to recover from that. And politically, That sprang from like Occupy Wall Street came out of that, the Tea Party on the right. And ultimately, I think you could trace President Trump's election directly to some anger and populist anger about who was able to come out of the recession successfully versus who was not. And I think it's hard to see what's going to happen and predict what's going to happen in the next decade in United States politics. But I think we're going to see a lot of anger uh, on both sides and, and people really approaching You know the politics very differently, but it's all, in my opinion, going to stem out of what's happened in the last year and what's going to
0: happen in the next year or so. Yeah, i I think along those lines, the like the educational fallout too is going to be an interesting one. I think I saw the lowest uh, first year enrollment for colleges for four year colleges in the U.S. and I don't know in in a long, long time. Um, Obviously. you know, the, the, the four to 22 year old time is a very formative time for a lot of people where they spend, uh, a, you know, just time learning about stuff. And, um, eventually I, I, yeah, I I worry about that. Definitely.
2: And, and some of that stuff, like you'll say, we'll, we'll be able to quantify, uh, in the next few years, whether it's college enrollment, high school graduation rates, uh, AP tests, like certain things that we'll have data on and certain things we won't. Kids that are six years old right now have spent, like that should be in first grade or so, have spent in many places the last year not being able to be in classrooms with other people that age. And so that those skills, like kind of soft skills that people say, like the interacting with uh, your peers and learning how to play and treat other people and recognize social cues and and on kind of a maybe potentially even worse extent whether you're middle school and high school and and the mental toll this has on you from just being in your house for weeks and months on end and not being able to see your friends and go out and play and play sports and do all those things that you might have been prevented from and then on even higher levels like whether it's um, lawyers or or nurses or doctors or all these people who are in training for these professions that maybe didn't get in-person training over these last few months like it's the the effects of those i think are never going to be adequately quantified but are going to be huge and long lasting
0: yeah the covid generation for sure on to number 2 now are you ready sure uh well what what did you have as number 2 i think this was our like main potential right. like, flip flop here yours was the vaccine
2: yeah so i i wanted to at least uh <laughs> it's just so historic that vaccines the fastest vaccine had been something like five or 10 years and previous vaccines of, of diseases that had crippled societies, whether it was polio or smallpox or measles or mumps or any of these things that had crippled societies for decades and centuries in some cases, it, that's how long it took for vaccines to get here. And for science, it's, I've heard this, so you don't want to call it a miracle because it was a lot of hard work and, and science that that made it happen, but it's it's really it's something that I don't want to take for granted that we're potentially going to be able to largely inoculate ourselves, at least in this country, if you want to within a year of the disease having been discovered here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's um, really for, for, for any, for anything like this, it was uh, you know, most of the people, even the optimistic ones were like saying, you know, a year, year and a half at minimum, um with the like real optimism being on the year side of things and here we are i mean even though they sort of, i guess did start around january february like it was i mean basically a year to the t and that's um an incredible pace i mean they, you don't want to do it but uh you know, part of it has to be um some some pat on the back for the operation warp speed and that is Absolutely. kind of a brainchild of <laughs> the Trump administration. I'm not not saying it's not sort of a logical step um and potentially one of few logical steps from the administration, but at the end of the day, uh sometimes you just have to give uh kudos and praise where, where praise is due. Um and certainly obviously to to the uh to the drug manufacturers themselves. I know if, Pfizer spent a lot of time sort of saying, well, we didn't take any money from the federal government. Um, But at at the end of the day, I think there is um, a lot to be said for how we were kind of able to align um, the federal response with how the private sector kind of needs to work in order to sort of bypass a lot of um, bottlenecks that really have to do with like, when is there going to be guaranteed cash flow for... Um, drugs and drug R&D so we can go from one phase to the next. Because a lot of the times, you know, these drug manufacturers essentially have to wait for both like market data on the demand for their product and also um, on data for the efficacy of their product. And in this case, we were able to basically drive forward six different um, potential vaccines for this virus over a 12-month span, basically because the government's like, "We're, we're writing the check just make sure that you have something for us at the end of the year. And um, of course, we've gotten two that look really good, uh, two and a half kind of with the AstraZeneca. Uh, I think it's like 70 or 60% effective compared to the 95% for Pfizer and Moderna, but still very, very good results and something that really I don't think could have happened either in the private sector alone or in the or in the federal government
2: alone. Absolutely. And you hope that this is one of the positives going forward, that government, like the public-private partnerships, can work uh, more efficiently like this, whether it's uh, funding or regulations. I, I think there's potentially a lot of good that can come out of how quickly this vaccine was developed, produced, and distributed.
0: Yeah. Fingers crossed on the distribution part.
2: All right. Um, What you had as number two and I had as number three is the George Floyd murder, which was just the latest in a long line, uh, but touched off nationwide protests and a nationwide reckoning. And I would venture to say almost a worldwide reckoning with racism, not just here in the United States, where it's certainly for us, it's most impactful, but continues to exist all over the world. Uh, And I don't know. I, I still don't totally have a great explanation for why this killing was the one because there have been so many, unfortunately, but this was the one that seemed to really light light the match uh to have these this recognition and, and reckoning all over all over the country and all over the world.
0: Yeah, I mean I you know to totally echo the fact that I think there are a lot of um unknowns as to Exactly what sparked this, but but I have to think, or I, or part of me definitely, but part of me believes that the coronavirus keeping people home, keeping people glued to their um, news feeds and their Instagrams, um, you know, where where they might as might otherwise be at work or hanging out with friends, getting drunk or whatever things that they couldn't do, and you just couldn't look away um, from this news story, Um, and then for me and, and how I, I sort of phrased this was this broader acknowledgement of systemic racism, which I don't think we've had. We've sort of had in pockets, certainly on the left, people recognize that uh, black and sort of brown people in this country have not always had their lives respected in the same way or the worth of their life um Respected in the same way as other people, but here it really felt to me just from scrolling through my news feed and my my Instagram feed where I thought many of my friends who I thought were sort of apolitical, which I think we've talked about what that what what that is in in this day and age, it doesn't feel like it's a it's a real thing, but for people who had never, Um, or who I had never really see voice their opinion on these matters start to repost things about redlining or about sort of unequal treatment with the GI bill. And just like so many things that have frustrated me for so long and where I've never really been able to uh, talk about that. It it almost felt like an overnight um, change for a lot of people being like, whoa, this is like, this is happening to people here. Like this is crazy.
2: <laughs> yeah, and there's definitely room—not to turn this in a negative, but room to criticize this. Like you say, an overnight shift of like a, this, like all oh, oh, our eyes are open. And it's like, as you mentioned, this has been happening for decades, for centuries in this country. And while it's good that there is this broader awareness of the issue, I'm sure people that have been dedicating their lives to this forever are probably a little bit frustrated that there was this overnight awakening that happened. But um, I will say a lot of, I agree with you that the coronavirus forced people to to reckon with this and, and didn't give them the chance to look away as so many people, white people in particular, but people in positions of privilege or power were able to look away previously. I, I, and I will say to your point is when you look at the Black Lives Matter movement, say it started I'm not 100% on this, but like after the death of Eric Garner in 2014 uh, and Michael Brown and, and th- those, the series of deaths that happened five or six years ago, uh, it was very controversial. And while you can, there are certainly criticisms that you could still continue to lob at the Black Lives Matter organization, I felt like the statement itself was really controversial and almost like a third real topic for a lot of people where you might say that. I don't necessarily want to bring this up when I'm out with my friends or when we're having conversations because you would get, you know, all lives matter or blue lives matter type things. Right. And while that still, I don't want to minimize the fact that I think that still exists amongst large swaths of our population population. It felt much more like as a society, we were able to say like, we understand what this statement means and why it's so important. And I think even if that's maybe not enough, this this recognition that black lives have not been treated as though they matter to the same extent that white lives have is i would say again at minimum but it's a, it's a it's a big baby step
0: yeah i mean i what is it like it's like the first step in uh recovery is acceptance or or something like that this is i i think we're and it's not, you're right. It's not universal. There's still a a pretty good chunk of the population that is here's black lives matter. And they say, well, all lives matter and whatever else that, that nonsense is. But um, it, it does feel like for the people and, and certainly I, I at times would fall into this bucket too. I I don't want to be like pointing um, in one, in one direction and saying that I'm not there, but the, people who have been able to ignore these issues um, whether because of you know uh, obviously your skin color being one of them but your sort of socioeconomic status or, or where you where you live these kinds of things you know although they're pervasive in society they just don't happen everywhere they happen in certain places right so whether um by circumstance or whatever you've sort of been able to just be like it's not my problem, um, this has finally felt like a lot of people are saying it if it's not my problem, it's not going to get fixed unless I also participate in the in in the mending in the solution
2: and it feels like it's now become part of the conversation and like that again that's such a I know it can be such a trivial thing to say, but I do feel. That like it has to be asked about in in debates going forward, and it has to be discussed. And like you acknowledged, I think at the, one of the very first you know podcasts that we did is now it should be a be based. Our argument should be based upon solutions to the problem, and we can disagree on how best to solve systemic racism in this country. And I'm sure once the Biden administration comes on, you and I can have those debates on programs that we feel like should or should not be implemented, but it feels less and less like you can get away with, with arguing or debating whether it is a problem. And I do think that's significant.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right. um, not moving on, but uh, if we're sort of rounding out the top five, three to five, uh, Trump's impeachment didn't make it for you. I think it was a tenuous one at best for me. Um it's this I think this really speaks to how
2: wild of a year this was that it was seventh on my list that the third time in history a president has been impeached didn't make my top five, yeah yeah,
0: wild um
2: yeah, I mean you you acknowledge that he was actually impeached back uh, in December of twenty nineteen but at the beginning of February, the Senate took it over, and uh he was acquitted of of the charges against him, so is yeah,
0: that yeah. is that the term like acquitted? I, I I'm I'm curious because I, I felt like it was more that they just like voted not to impeach. Of course, he's running around being like total exoneration, this is a witch hunt, same thing he's been saying about everything. Um but I don't know. I'm not sure if the language is really important there, but um yeah. I don't need, I don't, I, as you said, it was, it was a footnote in the, in the wild year that was 2020. So I'm not sure we need to get into it now. I, I think your point on, I think it was your number five his not accepting the results of the election. I think I kind of, um, broadly boiled or, you know, wrapped that into like the election fraud and mail-in voting that I had in for number three. Um, but yeah, I mean, well,
2: uh... this is, is going to resonate. Like this is, and we acknowledged this last episode with the 126 Republican congressmen that, it, that had signed on with him. And I, it, there's like palpable anger in his base. And I, I am legitimately concerned for the first for January, honestly, uh, because I think there is a, a lot of talk of, of not accepting things and potentially, you know, responding violently to what should be the most normal transfer of peaceful transfer of power that we've had for, for centuries, 250 years now. Uh, But I I really think, you know, knock on wood that that violence doesn't happen and we can maybe move on in the short term and avert that crisis. But this refusal to accept election results, it's historic. And it's something that is going to resonate in my opinion, not only in the short term, but is, is going to be difficult to come back from for, I, I would argue maybe a generation.
0: Are you envisioning that people show up to like Biden's inauguration looking to start trouble? I think that's certainly a possibility. I, I, I mean, uh, I'd say, you know, another footnote to the news story of this past week that that really hasn't been talked about um, have been some of the, I don't even know if you can really call them protests, like the 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 folks who have kind of descended on, uh, on Washington. And, and I don't, you know, there aren't that many of them. And perhaps it's, it's why it's not worth mentioning, but they've been breaking stuff and uh, burning stuff as well. And yet again, you have sort of the, the same exact people who are saying that, like, you know, call one group of people rioters, and then are out there doing things like this. I think it is um, still as much as, you know, we want to look at 2020 and see how far we've come. It's like a nice, not a nice reminder, but it is a a reminder that we've still got a long, long way to
1: go.
2: Yeah. I, I, I am very concerned about this in the, both the short and term of, of the weakening of our democratic foundations. So that's, that's why I made my list
0: good reason um all right and then maybe we can end our top our top uh our top fives of 2020 on on a high note um kind of going in reverse order here but uh certainly a major glass ceiling getting broken um with Kamala Harris being vice president uh especially vice president to like the oldest president that we've ever had. <laughs> Which
2: is historic in and up itself. It's also his historic, life. right? Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, I guess in, you know, in, in the sixties or, or whatever, when life expectancy was, was probably two years or five years below where Joe Biden is today, um, it was kind of a different, uh, potentially a different story um, or a different reason that people were so concerned with, uh, potentially advanced age candidate. Um, of course, Biden like broke his foot playing with his dog or something like <laughs> one week after getting elected, which was not... Uh, An
2: auspicious up- beginning. Not, yeah, not going
0: not gonna to instill all the confidence that oh. you want in your... Uh, uh, but um, but yeah, no, I mean, certainly j- just to round off with Kamala Harris, these glass ceilings, the more that they come down, the the... Closer that we get to, to that ideal of like a true meritocracy, which is where you're actually getting judged by your talents and your abilities um, for each role and not what our ideal vision of the person is who should be in that role looks like. Right. Um, and I think that that is certainly historic and, and she'll go down in the, in the history books for that and as well as she should.
2: Yeah, I think I've I've hinted at this. I'm not the biggest fan of uh, Vice President Elect Harris, and I didn't love how Biden said that he was going to pick a woman, and then felt like he had to pick a minority woman. I wish he had just kind of not said any of that, and like you said, just picked her because she was the best person for the job in his opinion. Yeah, uh, but I do think we are getting close to that. And I will say, her getting up there in her acceptance speech and saying, "While I am the first, I may be the first woman, I will not be the last." Is honestly, I like that's goosebump chill. It's like it gives you chills and. I know I still work with like a lot of young people and for them, for like black girls seeing that it meant a lot to them and that they can see themselves being a Senator, a vice president, potentially a president. Uh, It's, it's a huge, huge moment. And it was cool for her, not only to be the first woman, but to be the first black woman, to be the first Indian woman. Right. It's she, I think she gave hope to a wide swath of people, that seeing her up there, it could be them, and and that's that's really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I think with that, there's no better way to uh, to ask you if you have any parting thoughts uh, for 2020. No, uh, it's.
2: It, I I really hate that. Like people are like, "Oh, I can't wait for 2020 to be over," as if like you know January 1st, 2021, things are going to be like good again. Uh, and it's just like such a it's always just such a human thing where it's like we categorize like these times where oh this was a bad quote unquote bad year. It was, it's been a hard nine months, 12 months for a lot of people. It's been a hard, you know, far longer than that. Four years, 10 years. Um, And I understand that. I, I don't think that 2021 is obviously going to be magical all of a sudden, but I do Have hope. I do think this is going to be a year where we look back on and like shake our heads, like even like we're doing now. But historically, to look for us to look back in five or ten years, I cannot believe all that stuff happened in that year. You know what a wild, wild year it has been. So hopefully next year will be calmer, safer, more fun. You know, I, I just can't imagine if like we can get to a point in you know in the spring and summer where we can be more or less back to our lives, like how how awesome that's gonna be.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um I I hear you on the arbitrary nature of uh of our date system, and yet good riddance is all I got. <laughs> lot lots to look
2: forward to in twenty twenty one, I think. Indeed, indeed. All right, man. It's been, a, it's been a fun 2020. Bright side. We started this in 2020.
0: Hey, we started the podcast.
2: Hopefully, hopefully bright things to look forward to in this podcast
0: in 2021. That's it. All right, man. We'll see you. Talk to you.